Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. And keep your mouth shut, 50! I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south, on a but you can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again, twist a little bit of teeth because it's got big skin. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to After the Snap. I am your host, Blake Ferguson. I am the long snapper for your Miami Dolphins. Your Miami Dolphins with a new head coach. I am here with my lovely co-host, Reed Ferguson, the long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. We have an action-packed episode for you all today. There's been a ton of buzz around the football world this week, and we will get into all of that momentarily. But first, we got a new head coach. Congratulations. I could not be more excited to have Mike McDaniel coming down to South Florida. It seems like uh, from what I've seen that that he's kind of been the um, the hot target amongst fans. Is that is that correct? I see. And this is funny because people ask me all the time, like, they're like, what do you know? Like, do you get any kind of inside scoop? And, you know, just like I do. We don't hear anything until we see it on Twitter, just like everybody else does. Right. Like Adam Schefter is our is our resource for finding out information, just like every other. Right. Fan. We're, we're fans, just like everybody else. Exactly. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. that is way above our pay grade. Yeah. So yesterday, I mean, we were just hanging out, and the tweet came across from from Shefty, and then the the Dolphins confirmed it. But as I've just been tracking along, he seems like the one that. Dolphins fans have have wanted from the beginning. I think it started with the the like compilation video of all of his press conferences, and then this sort of Mike McDaniel character came about because he's he's quirky, he's funny, he's sort of innovative, and um, I think that the Dolphins fan base attached themselves to that very quickly because that's. I think so different from what we had under coach flow. Everybody has their own coaching style, but it's just very different. And so I think that that's something that, that the dolphins fans have, have reacted well to. And I think that they're super pumped to now have him coming down from San Francisco. So I'm excited about it. Um, I'm hoping to get to talk to him soon and uh, just get to get to know him and, and um, just kind of learn how he operates. Yeah, that's great. Um, and just one thing, obviously, uh, have to hit on. He is now the second, uh, McD coach in the division. So, uh, welcome to the club. Yeah. I guess overall in the division, we swapped one for one as Josh McDaniels has left for, uh, Las Vegas. Uh, but I know you're referencing head coaches. Uh, a couple of things on Mike McDaniel for our listeners. He has basically been everywhere that Kyle Shanahan has been. Sort of started out with the McVeigh, Matt LaFleur crew in Washington. Then he was in Cleveland as the receivers coach. Then he was in Atlanta uh, working as an offensive assistant under Kyle Shanahan. And then has been in San Francisco basically since Shanahan went out there. Uh, most recently, the offensive coordinator in, in 2021. So 
a lot to be excited about for Dolphins fans. I know that fans are eager to, to see his press conference and just learn more about him. I've only heard good feedback from the, the players who have uh, spoken out publicly about him. I know Juszczyk, uh, the fullback, has, has had glowing uh, remarks about him. And so I, I'm, I'm curious to see just, I guess I'm just eager to learn more about him and just see how things go in the next couple of weeks. Later in the pod, we have LSU kicker, I guess former LSU kicker, Cade York coming on. So stay tuned for that. It is also Super Bowl week, Rams, Bengals, Sunday at 6.30 Eastern. Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford both making their Super Bowl debuts along with a large number of their teammates. I'm pumped about it. I hope you are. I know our listeners are for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I, I guess with with that being said, that means that Pro Bowl week is over. Did you watch any of the Pro Bowl festivities? Uh, no, I was pretty busy uh, just with Blakely and, um, you know, just kind of keeping busy around the house. But uh, I did see a little bit on Instagram, mostly from the Bills account, because they were posting a lot of stuff uh, between the Diggs brothers, which was pretty funny to see. Yeah, I saw a couple of things just throughout the week. I think that they did a, a much better job this year with the like the skills challenge and just getting the fan involvement throughout the course of the week. I know growing up, you and I used to watch, you know, Peyton Manning out there doing the long, long distance throwing competitions and stuff. And that seemed like something that was really cool and, and we enjoyed watching it. And then more recently, it's been kind of just. Nah, just nobody really watched it. It was in Orlando. Think, yeah. Well, I think, I think the big shift in that has been guys not wanting to risk injury. I yeah. think in the past, if you look in the past, probably I'll, I'll just be conservative. The past decade, really guys have really honed in on, um, the off, the time in the off season and taking advantage of the rest. And really you've got, you know, when you, when you talk about the Pro Bowl, the game itself, right? You've got, you know, got the the season ended for a lot of guys on January 9th, right? Been done for the, almost a playing month. this game, you know, four four and a half weeks later. You know, there a lot of guys, you know, who knows how many guys have been, you know, working out. You don't want to, obviously, you don't want to injure yourself because that'll set your off season back even more. So it's really it's more of a focus for guys. So unfortunately the game looks different now than it did, you know, 15, 20 years ago when there was, you know, guys were laying the wood for the uh, good of the game uh, and the longevity for players, health and players careers guys are are not taking it as seriously. So it's, it's hard, it's hard for me to be upset, but that's, that's kind of all that. That's my thoughts. The skills challenge is great. Like you said, but the game people need to rethink their expectations for the, physicality that they're expecting in the actual Pro Bowl game. I think, too, so it used to be out in Hawaii. They then moved it to Orlando, which neither of those places are NFL football cities. This year it was in Las Vegas, brand-new stadium, or I guess two-year-old stadium. Fans are involved, and – it just seemed like there was more of a buzz around the Pro Bowl this year than there has been before. And so I think that that was, that just sort of played into the overall experience as a, as a viewer of it. A couple of notable things from the Pro Bowl. Mac Jones on a 
touchdown that didn't really count. He ran like 70 yards. He hit the gritty in the end zone. Did you see the video of that? Uh, I did, unfortunately. I mean, I got to give him credit. He gave it his best effort. I did the gritty with Mac Hollins when he downed a punt inside the five in New Orleans. I don't claim to be the best dancer, and I don't really have a whole lot to of room to judge people for their dancing, but I, I had a good laugh because it was it was almost it was almost embarrassing, but like in a good way for Mac. As you mentioned earlier, Stefan Diggs, Bill's wide receiver, Trayvon Diggs, Cowboys defensive back, their brothers, and they were having a ton of fun, both being at the Pro Bowl. Swap um, positions. There was a there was a point in time where Stefan Diggs lined up as a corner and Tra- Trayvon Diggs was uh, at receiver and they were they were going one on one together and um, Diggs got him. He he got him. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Just we to clarify. Need to, yeah, need to probably clarify that. Uh, Stefan got him technically, but I think in a regular game, that's going to be called a pass interference like all day long, 10 times out of 10. Stefan did come out on the winning, on the winning side of that. And then lastly, AFC has now won five in a row. We've talked at length about how difficult the AFC is to win and get to the Super Bowl coming out of that conference. Uh, so it's no surprise that AFC has now put up five in a row. The one interesting thing to that is, for those that don't know, the winning team gets a better paycheck. What is is it like a is it like a forty thousand dollar difference? I think it's like forty or fifty, and and there's incentive. You know, there, so there is an incentive there, but I, it's a it's a risk reward. Winning right? team go back to the risk reward. Winning team gets an eighty thousand dollar bonus, and the losing team gets forty thousand dollar bonus. It's a significant chunk of change that you get if you if you win so and then lastly there were no punts which is like the least surprising thing they interviewed aj cole the punter for the afc during the game and he said (laughs) this was i think right after halftime he said that vrabel came up to him before the game and was like just get your holding hands ready you're going to be holding a lot you're not going to be you're not going to be pun today and he was talking about how he had had two hot dogs at halftime and he was just out there enjoying the experience. Major props to those guys. No punts on either side. I checked the stat sheet this morning, but that's, I mean, that's the fun of it. You, you know, you don't go, you don't go to the Pro Bowl and, and, you know, punt. You, you go for it on every fourth down and you just, you just play the, play the game. So yeah, the, uh, the, the five minutes that I actually was watching, I think I saw the NFC go for it on like fourth and 15 pretty early in the game on like their own 20 yard line. I'm because like, why, is, not? Exactly, why not? Exactly. I mean, exactly. there's $40,000 on the line, but not enough to make it, make it to where it's overly competitive. Well, that is a wrap on Pro Bowl week. We are now in Super Bowl week. There is a great representation of LSU Tigers in the Super Bowl from both sides. I believe three for Cincinnati and two for the Rams. A lot of former LSU Tigers from the 2019 team, which leads us right into our interview for this week. We have former LSU kicker Cade York coming on the pod He was named second team all SEC in 2019 and 2021. He was first team all SEC in 2020, second team all American in 2020 as well. And he was a member of the SEC all freshman team 
in 2019 when we won the national championship. He is undoubtedly the best kicker in this year's NFL draft. Here is our interview with Cade. All right, we've got Cade York in the house today. First of all, Cade, thanks for joining us. This is a pleasure for us because I believe that you are our first former LSU Tiger that we have interviewed on the pod. Wow, wow. Big accomplishment accomplishment for me and for y'all, of course, to have me on the show. This is obviously, as you know, a podcast that is about specialists. It's about long snapping, punting, kicking, and that is a big reason why we do what we do. You, so you grew up in Prosper, um, just outside of Dallas. Football wasn't really your first love. You start, you, you came up as a soccer player. That's what you used to screw around, screw around with Avery and all the guys at football practice doing, kicking around a soccer ball. How did playing soccer help you get into kicking now? Well, like I played for a long time. Like I played since I was, when I was four, started playing when I was four. So I ended up stopped playing when I was like 17, actually because of kicking. Honestly, I just developed a leg swing and athletic ability just in general, running around and being an athlete and then also kicking a ball, just automatically developed that leg strength and just the ability to swing my leg and even be accurate with my swing and control it. I kind of all led into, even though it's a very different swing, but it kind of led into having that ability. When you look at guys across the league, as you're obviously uh, in college, you're watching film from guys in, in the pros, but now that you're entering kind of that transition into the pros, do you find yourself watching guys that you know came from a soccer background or guys that kind of grew up just kicking the football? I think it's actually pretty interesting, like, I'm almost pretty sure, like, it's like, especially for kickers, not always for punters, but, like, it's pretty unanimously close that everyone has a little bit of a soccer background. I can't be 100% sure because I obviously haven't talked to all these guys, but most people I've talked to, like, everyone at LSU, everyone that I know, like, from college and even stuff like that, that they might have stopped playing soccer earlier than I did. Most of them had a soccer background. I know punters, obviously, can be a little bit different because it's a different swing, like, Obviously, our buddy Zach never played soccer in his life, I don't think, and he was just a baseball player and figured out how to punt. So it's a little bit different, but I feel like it's pretty close unanimously like most kickers have played soccer. Yeah, the the one guy that comes to mind is a guy that I started my career with in Buffalo, uh, Stephen Hauschka. He played soccer at the college he went to and then obviously joined the football team while he was there and then transferred to NC State to be a place kicker is I think his final two years of college. But yeah, that was just something I had a question for you, but uh, okay. So you get into kicking, uh, you work your way through the ranks, you come out as one of the top kickers in the country. Can you run us through kind of your recruiting process? Did you take official visits? How were they funny stories? You know, what, who, who all were you approached by anything you can tell us? My recruiting like story is actually really short. I kind of joined, not late, late, but a little bit later than most of the top guys in my class. Went to my first kicking camp, like ranking camp as like right before my junior of high school. Did well at it. Got ranked somewhere in the top like 10 or 15. And then that winter, I balled out of the camp and got ranked number one. And But at that point, like the top like three guys in our class have already like gotten offers and committed and like taken up a few of the big schools and stuff like that. 
And by that time, even like LSU had already offered somebody at that point. Um, obviously, that guy didn't end up taking it. But um, so I kind of started a little bit late. And then right when LSU offered me, I basically committed on the spot. Um, I did it at the Tulane camp, actually, in New Orleans. My official visit, I only took one notice to LSU. That's actually where I met Blake for like 15 minutes. Was that when you came by the house and played FIFA? Yep. That is. <laughs> I think you were at the casino. So I, Yeah, I think I was with Tyler. I'm pretty sure Cole texted everybody. He's like, where's everybody at? No one showed up. So it was me, Cole, well, and Connor Culp. Who if won I, in FIFA? Oh, Cole kicked my butt. I suck at FIFA. <laughs> So you end up at LSU with me and the the rest of the ragtag crew that we had that season. What do you remember about the early games, like your first first games at the college level? I mean, you played in Texas, so you were playing in front of bigger crowds than most guys are coming out of high school. But I'd have to imagine that playing in front of 102,000 people is is a shock to the system, just like it was for Reed and myself. And, you know, what do you, what do you think about? What are those, what are those memories that you have from that first year? Honestly, the first like few games were amazing. Like I almost can compare it to like a baby, like not knowing that a stove is hot. So he touches it. Cause like, I was like, I start off the year. Great. Went like, like seven for seven or eight for eight. And then all of a sudden I started like shit started happening. So it was like, Oh, that's when I kind of, Realize, okay, this can be bad too. But the start of the season, it was I was on cloud nine. First game had two field goals. Second game had three field goals. I don't think anything happened in the third game. But then I find like I missed. I thought, oh, like that's what it feels like to miss. So then it started. You have a little more like both sides to it. So it's kind of like I think that's what I learned a lot about my freshman year. And you can remember it too. Just the roller coaster of things which is when you and Zach helped me a lot um, finding a balance, especially the second half of the year. It was a lot more even kill rather than going up and down. That's actually something I wanted to ask you. So if I remember correctly, that was the year. So Josh Groudon was the holder for the spring and summer going into Mm -hmm. that training camp. And he ends up leaving and transferring to West Virginia, like, right before the season started. You you had been working with me, but you were working with a new holder with Zach that you, you know, hadn't really done a whole lot with in the summer. Do you feel like that that was a tough transition? Do you feel like that that maybe made, made you more comfortable or? Honestly, I didn't, it didn't bother me at all because Josh obviously was an amazing holder, but Zach stepped in was, I mean, one, there wasn't much he had to deal with because your snaps were pretty damn consistent, but Zach, for two years, was a great holder. And right off the bat, like, I had no issues with him. And, again, like, I was – I can't – I just come from high school where you deal with crazy stuff on field goal ops. So, whatever I'd gotten at LSU was going to be an upgrade, so it was great. And it was the same thing when Avery took over my junior year. Like, it wasn't – y'all, they did so much work, like, with holding and on the jugs and everything like that. So, it was pretty easy transitions. Staying uh, on the topic of the 2019 team, obviously, I would like to say that's the greatest team ever. I wasn't on it. You know, my little brother was on it. He got, you know, a, a nicer ring accomplishment than I did. That's fine. I'm more tell, than happy to say that. Tell Cade what kind of ring that you have. Yeah, I have an Outback Bowl ring. 
And I think Is it's that probably a just on it. Yeah, no, nah, it's no, but we did get like a, a a gift card for a blooming onion, so. Uh, you know, that's that, almost better you know, than the ring. I yeah, honestly, I got more use out of the the fifty dollar gift card than I did for the uh, than I did the ring. It's probably you know it's packed up in storage somewhere. But like I said, staying on the topic of that twenty nineteen team, there was obviously twenty twenty draft Blake's draft. There was a ton of guys that got drafted. And I think fourteen. I think fourteen in guys my class. in that draft almost broke the record or tied the record. I think fifteen. I think, I think fifteen is the record total. Yeah, maybe we tied the first round or tied the total, and then won the first round, something like yeah, that. Something like yeah. that. So anyway, ton of pro guys coming off that team, and obviously last year, last year's draft as well. Some of the guys that were that came out that were on that team that came out a year later. Do you feel like that team was the best team in college football history? My freshman year, twenty the twenty nineteen yeah. championship team. Yeah, I I think it's hard to argue against it for sure. Obviously, I don't know. I'm not a huge football like buff with knowing like the history of football. So like if we asked Coach Max, our old Sessions coordinator, he would start throwing in like the old Nebraska team that he always talked about and stuff like that. The teams that we played against, like I think all our ranked teams were in the top ten when we played them and we played like seven of them or something like that. And we won all of them. So it's like not only like are we the only team to go fifteen and zero and win a national championship, we're the only team to play like all top 10 teams and beat all of them. So it's like, I think even if people try and argue it, it's kind of impossible to argue it. The one thing that comes to my mind, obviously you just hit on it is the strength of schedule for the team, for y'all's team that season. And I think that the one argument, the one team, like you said, the old Nebraska teams like were great, but the early two thousands team down in Miami Miami, uh, it's yeah. kind of the one that everybody hits on, but they were, you know, they're obviously so great on defense, Hall of Famers on that defense. But I think, uh, I think they're, they're the ones, sorry to interrupt, I think they're the ones that have the or had the draft record for the most number of draft picks. But I think you're right. And I know I've also heard the argument of the Alabama team the year after from some people, but, but there's, you know, there's opinion, nobody, but there's nobody that's gone, that's ever gone 15 was, and 0. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a question from me, uh, just because I predated both you guys uh, at LSU, but there's a pretty good group of LSU kickers historically that have made a name for themselves, whether, uh, you know, mo- uh, probably mostly at the collegiate level, um, obviously with fakes, big kicks, you know, points scored, you know, game winners. I mean, you you, you name it. Some of those kickers across the board that have been there in the past, you know, 20 years or so, um, have, did any of those guys have an influence on you? Have you met any of those guys? Did they reach out uh, while either while you were at LSU or since you've kind of uh, declared for the draft to help with that transition? I haven't talked to many. I've talked to a couple recently, but especially big time before I got there, Colt was a big deal to me. Um, like he did my official and all that stuff and got to talk to him in the spring while he was training for the draft. So I kind of – saw some of what he was doing back then and can compare it to what I'm doing now. While I was there, though, you know that we always had the specialist camp every summer. I was, that's where I met most, like, the past kickers that I know, like, talked to Colby Delahousse, Josh Jasper, um, Drew Almond, a bunch of guys, and it was cool talking with them. Like, I stay in touch with Drew Almond. I think he actually just moved to Dallas. Talked to Jasper right around the bowl game, and it's cool being able to, like – connect like people to like things you've seen of like old like like older film of like and big games and stuff like that that they always show around the building and stuff like that 
honestly don't want because I talked to Josh about his time when he was like going through um, going to the combine and getting ready for the draft and stuff like that. So it's cool to hear all these stories and be able to like almost be prepared for like what's to come. And it's um, it's definitely a good um, group of guys. Something I wanted to hit on was the 57 yard field goal in 2020 in the swamp in the fog, which that was like the craziest game that I've not probably not the craziest game that I've ever watched, but like the, the strangest game that I've ever seen, just like the shoe throw. And then, you know, you hit the game winning field goal. You guys were having an up and down year, but that seemed like a huge bright spot on an otherwise just somewhat under underwhelming year for LSU. What's the longest field goal that you've ever attempted and made? Not necessarily in a game. Like what, what is the, like, have you hit a 70 yard field goal in practice before? Not with live reps. I don't think they would ever let us go back that far, but, but I've like you're like 70, you're, 75 before. Okay. I was going to say you had to be like screwing around at some point and just yeah. was like, okay, it's really windy today. Let's see what I can do. Yep. What do you think? What do you think you could hit in a game? I mean, it's all conditions based, but very fair conditions, maybe a little bit wind in my back. If I, if it was needed, I could probably hit from 65. Because so the NFL well, record kick in Buffalo, you got twenty twenty at your back almost every home game. <laughs> I, I watched that game with uh and with uh that crazy one with Tyler the Patriots like thirty five yard field goals and it was like <laughs> I mean we were kicking PATs and they were landing in the end zone. It was it was I had never seen it before. That's ridiculous. And then he had a kickoff that went in like a hundred and twenty yards or something. Yeah, like that. about it went about twelve <laughs> rows deep. <laughs> up the tu- up the tunnel end zone, it was insane. Yeah, I haven't kicked anything like that yet. So, so okay, so transitioning to the uh, kind of your NFL, starting out on your NFL journey, what does it mean to you to kind of be next in line to carry on the LSU tradition to the league? I mean, it's a big deal for me. LSU was it was a hard place to leave for sure, and it means a lot to me that I got the opportunity to come in as a freshman, like we talked about earlier, and be able to compete and play for three years. And everyone was great to me there. And it it means a lot being able to carry on the NFLSU tradition, especially since it's something that going into college, I don't know how much I was really focused on the now of like, okay, now I'm taking at a big time university. I wasn't ever, the thought of the NFL wasn't, like, it was always out there, but it wasn't something, especially not like, okay, you might be doing this in three years, not four years. So it kind of came up on me quick, and it's pretty surreal. And even now, it's like I see, like, guys on the team still back in college and doing that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm not even a part of that life anymore. It's a big transition, but I'm excited, like, just to be a part of that community of guys from LSU, like y'all, obviously, that get to move on to the next level and represent LSU in the best way possible. So it's pretty cool. We what? certainly, uh, sorry, we Go ahead, I was going to say we certainly need some more LSU specialists in the league. We Absolutely. had, we had Brad Wing. We've got Odell, who technically was a returner. Tyron Matthew yeah. was a returner, but we need some more, we need some more true, like specialist room guys in the league. We had Donnie Jones for a little while or had for a long time. Donnie Jones, wow. yep. Russell Shepard was a guy that when I got in the league, he was a, he was a, a very good gunner. Um, Wasn't Russell Gage good at kickoff? Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. He was a good gunner, good kickoff guy. You kind of hit on it a little bit, you know, leaving after three years. What played in, into that decision for you to forego your uh, final couple of seasons? 
So basically after sophomore year, I had a pretty good year and I had some people that I'm close to that I trust and basically tell me that, hey, like if you do the same thing, you keep doing well, like there's a good chance that you could come out next year and be the top guy uh, at the kicking position. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of crazy. Um, so I kind of like try to suppress that and keep it down and just focus on the season. And then I had like scouts, agents, all that stuff. So it was big, like big deal going into the season that I wanted to shut all that out and trying to be in the now and focus on that. And obviously it was hard because the closer you get to the season, you're like, oh, that decision is looming. It's like, I don't want to miss this kick and that affect that decision and crap like that. So it's like you had to really like, especially when you come into game time, you had to like push all that out. And I wasn't perfect at it. It was hard, but I basically made the decision post or preseason that if I came out or I ended the season being pretty honestly the number one kick on the draft board, or I believed in myself, or I had enough people tell me that that I would come out, and it ended up being that way. So I made the decision. You made the decision. You're you are headed to the NFL draft. Where are you doing your training, and what does combine slash pro day training look like for a kicker because that's probably significantly different from most everybody else that's doing the same same thing i moved to dallas not straight up dallas but just outside dallas i'm working out this place called sanders fit in downtown dallas and you can definitely see the difference kicker training and the rest like the position training because there's a group of like position guys there and then there's a group of well Right now, it's just me, but there's been, like, a couple kickers in and out of there. And you can just see the difference in our training on a daily basis. Like, we'll be doing, like, stabilizing stuff, like, a lot of core, like, movement, like, left and right, like, rotational stuff. And there'll be a little bit of stuff added in, like, dumbbell press, like, curls, whatever, just to, like, supplement, like, the rest of stuff. But then you'll see those guys, like, they're over there, like, benching a lot, trying to get rid of their um, – their 225 reps and stuff like that. And they're a lot more explosion-based and more, like, power-based than us. And we're more, like, very specific to our bodies. And, like, we might not be getting shredded and all that stuff, but we're, like, what we need is, like, what we need for our bodies is happening. So I do those type of workouts three days a week. And then I have Tuesday, Thursdays that I will do a more, like, PT-specific where it's, like, injury prevention and, like, making sure the body is, like, set up in the right way for me and not changing much because obviously my body knows what it needs and it's set up the way for it needs to be for a kicker to to function now but doing that and then I'll kick three times a week usually it's like a Monday Wednesday Friday thing but if I have someone different I train with on the weekend I might take one of those days out or like this weekend I'm flying out to Arizona um, on Wednesday to do a three-day training thing with Cole's kicking up in Arizona so I'm going to do that so I'll miss some of the workouts this week kind of a normal schedule is like that. And then if I have anything that changes, I'll tweak it around that. Have you gotten your combine invite yet? Yeah, I got it on my birthday, actually. Nice. That's a good birthday gift. So do you know, have they told you guys what the combine is going to look like this year? Is it back to normal? I know last year it was, you know, the they virtual, they didn't really yeah. have a, a combine that was just kind of the interviews and the, like the, the physical stuff. Do you know what it's going to be like this year? Is it back to normal? I have a flight booked already, so I'm pretty sure it's all back to normal. There might be restrictions while we're there, like masks and stuff like that, but it's definitely back in Indy again, and we'll have like the everything with interviews, the physical stuff, and the kicking stuff. So 
it should be back to more like what yours is like. That's good. That's good. I, I know just in talking to our, some of our scouts and coaches and stuff about last year's combine and, and just the whole process last year, they, they, they didn't like it. Like it's, it's really hard to get a, a feel for guys without, you know, meeting face to face and yeah and all, and all of that stuff. So, so I, I'm glad that it's going to be back to normal and, and you'll get the full experience assuming that it all is, is back uh, on schedule. Uh, so hitting on something a little lighter, uh, something we've covered pretty much at length about on the pod uh, is the development of NIL deals in collegiate sports. Obviously, you guys are familiar with that uh, by now. But uh, we were uh, scrolling Twitter a while back, and all of a sudden we see a video. Uh, it was a promoted ad on Twitter from Velveeta. And you're doing a press conference talking about the uh, quote-unquote boldest contract in college football, Velveeta's queso contract. Uh, can you talk us through how they reached out to you, how you accepted working with Velveeta? Kind of t- walk us through that because we're obviously uh, – NIL started after we were gone, so uh, we only know so much. Preseason when like that uh, July 1st or whatever that day was like passed, Everything just started going crazy. Like I was getting offers like for like small stuff, like in my DMs and stuff like that. And randomly, like an agent that I'd spoken with for like for like that I might talk to after season for like NFL stuff, reached out and mentioned like, "Hey, like, what are you doing for an aisle? I was like, "I don't know. Like, I'm just people are offering me crap, but I'm it's good enough. I might accept it." He's like, "Well, like you can sign with a marketing agent." So I ended up signing with them as a marketing agency. And apparently, like, a week after that, someone from Velveeta randomly contacted them and sent them, like, this, like, big PowerPoint of, like, their proposed deal for me. So it wasn't even, like, something we reached out for or, like, knew about in advance. It was just so random. So I'd gotten a few things that we had talked about. And I remember getting a call from one of the guys that night. He's like, hey, uh, I got something kind of weird. He's like, but it's it's pretty cool. I'm like, um, okay. He's like, um you ever heard of a Velveeta? I'm like, yeah, everyone's heard of Velveeta. What, what do you mean? He's like, well, uh, they want to do a commercial. My first thought is like, why the heck does Velveeta want to do a good commercial with me? Because being a kicker, we like have a little bit of spotlight, but definitely like we know our place and that's most of that stuff is for the other guys. So it was a little weird, but it ended up being pretty cool. Shooting a commercial was nothing like I expected it. It was kind of stressful. Yeah. So you, I saw an article where you you flew out to Chicago like right after the McNeese game. Yeah, I flew out at like five a.m. to Chicago the day after the game. So I was so tired, and then filmed it and then came back that night. Well, if for for our listeners who haven't seen the the clip, we will share it on our podcast uh, Twitter page and and. Hopefully we'll find a way to do it on our Instagram as well. Oh, you don't but, have to do that. But uh, Cade, Cade will definitely be tagged in it now that he doesn't want it shared. And if you haven't seen it, Cade is wearing his a jersey that's number 36 and has like Velveeta cheese looking like it's like he just got like Nickelodeon slime, but it's Velveeta cheese, cheese like all over the top of it. Are they going to sell those jerseys? Because I like, I want that to like wear so, to, to an away game or something. I want to, I want a photo of me like walking into the stadium wearing a Cade York Velveeta jersey. Is that something that's going to end up on Fanatics or? I don't know about Fanatics. 
but they did like part of like that whole like Kato contract or whatever is like you won a jersey if you won like one of the raffles or whatever. And I actually have one, so I have my own. And, and then they like three other four other people have one too. Well, we'll see if you can uh, see if you can reach out to your marketing agent and see if they can pull a couple more of those in for us. I will one hundred percent wear that it. wear that into the stadium for a game. Okay, last question um, before we wrap it up with you. Uh, have you met uh, the new special teams uh, coordinator for LSU, Brian Polian? I have. I don't think Blake has met him. I have not met him. Um, I'd love to uh, hopefully meet him someday and get to know him a little bit. But uh, what are your thoughts on him? Did he give you uh, some advice for your transition? How did, you know, kind of walk us through that? Don't know too much about him. We kind of were just like – in the same building for a few weeks. Um, had a meeting with him about what my plans were and everything like that. Um, he seems like he's definitely different from what we've had at special coordinator the past few years. Um, I think he's a little more um, take control. And it's not that Matt didn't take control by any means. It was they're just going to have different styles for sure. He seems very active and like working with specialists and like learning their swings and stuff like that which might be a good thing uh, for some of those guys. And he seems like he knows what he's doing. Did he come along after you made your decision or did he try to sway you one way or another? I know you said you met with him about your plans. Did he, was that, was there any involvement so, in the decision for you with him? Yeah. So he came in right after the A&M game, basically when Kelly was hired and everything like that. And the new strength staff came in. That's when he came in. And I hadn't verb it was we were still at the bowl game coming out, so I hadn't made any decisions, but I basically made my mind up that I was gonna declare. And yes, he did have a conversation with me about trying to stay and stuff like that. And he respected the decision because obviously he's like, I don't know too much about you. Like I know like your resume and everything like that, but as a person I don't know you. So we did have that conversation. But Well man, this has been a absolute pleasure for us. Um we really appreciate you taking the time. Well, man, we really appreciate you joining the pod this week. This has been an absolute pleasure for us. Best of luck in your training and uh, at the Combine and Pro Day and all of the things coming up for you. I know it's a hectic offseason, but try to just take a deep breath and enjoy it. It is a fun process. So best of luck, and thanks for coming on the pod. Well, thank you. Well, big thanks to Cade York for coming on the pod this week. That was super fun for us. He was our first LSU Tiger that we've had on the podcast, and we actually have another LSU Tiger coming on next week. Avery Atkins has told us he wants to come on the pod as well. He is prepping for his NFL um, opportunity, so we're going to have him on next week as well. Reed, we have time for one final thought. My one final thought this week, I put it in the notes last night. I was thinking on it for a couple of days on on Saturday morning, I was doing my uh, I was reading my daily devotional book. It hit me a little deep. It was a good, it was a really good one that Saturday morning. It was a take on basically how the people closest to you determine your success or failure. And it sounds a little obvious, but it was just a nice little reflection for me to kind of reevaluate my inner circle, if you will. We always heard that quote growing up: "Show me who your friends are." And I'll show you how successful you'll be. Who you hang out with determines kind of what you're going to be in life and how far you're going to go. And one thing that the devotional hit on uh, basically was 
the author was explaining that when, when you take on a leadership role and you're asked to help develop younger players, people at your job, you know, it's not just, I'm not just relating it to football. When you take on that leadership role, I'm kind of thinking of it from, I was just a, uh, you know, a captain last season for the third year in a row. That's something I take very, I hold very near and dear to my heart, especially because it is player voted. When you take on a leadership role like that, and you're asked to help develop and help bring along these younger players, it not only develops, you're not only helping the coaches develop the player, uh, but you were also affected yourself in that kind of like investing, you know, in the stock market, you're putting in your money, you're putting in your time, investing in people, you're putting in your time, you're putting in effort, and both parties benefit in the long run. You find out as much, if not more, about yourself, and I can and I and I can speak to this personally because it's happened over the past couple of years. I think about a guy, Tyler Bass, who we brought in, you know, two years ago in the draft, and just to see him grow, watch him grow. You know, I, I've tried to uh, try to be as good of a leader in our room for him to kind of bring him along, and to, and just to watch him develop and and see the kicker he's. Uh, turned into be, you know, mentally, physically on and off the field, you know, it's great. It's a great thing to see. So I think, you know, final thought, seek those who you can improve and sit back and watch what happens to yourself in the process. That was really good. And, and it actually, I guess, sort of ties into what my final thought is. We, we don't write these together. We don't talk about them before we actually get on the pod and spill it to our listeners. I guess my final thought for this week is a reflection on college football and specifically coaches and people who are put into leadership roles at these universities. In the span of one week, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator at the University of Alabama, was arrested and kept in jail overnight for suspicion of DUI, which basically means he was probably driving drunk, but he didn't, he didn't blow. So he, they couldn't uh, necessarily charge him with one. And then Auburn head coach, Brian Harson has been accused of having an extramarital affair with his assistant. This has also not been confirmed, but these are the men who are put in charge of teaching and developing the young men of college football. And frankly, we need to start holding these coaches to higher standards. I know almost for a fact that nothing will come out of the Alabama one because I just know that that's how things operate in Tuscaloosa, which is we want to win and that's all it's about. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the Brian Harson thing in Auburn. I know there have been players speaking out on both sides about Guys who were, who were recruited by Gus Malzahn, who are, are not fans of, of Brian Harson. And then guys who are recruited by Brian Harson are, are speaking out in favor of him. There's a whole thing going on there. But overall, I feel like we need to hold them to higher standards. Fans, coaches, administrators get upset with players who are out in public acting like fools. But what do you expect when the people who are put in charge of developing these young men are out doing the same thing. I remember a couple of years ago, it was making headlines at Ohio state. Zach Smith was beating his wife. He got fired, but 
he was probably doing it for a while and was getting away with it and was still coaching his players and acting like nothing was happening. And so I guess my final thought is that the punishment needs to be stronger from the top down to set a better example for the young athletes in college athletics, because those are the, those are the people who are put in charge of teaching the young men and young women in these universities, how to act like adults, their, their parents are, are, are very much involved in that as well. But when they're away from their parents for four years, three to four years, I feel like that the, that the coaches and the administrators put in charge need to take on a bigger role. With that being said, we loved having Cade York on the pod. We are pumped about Avery Atkins coming on next week. He is doing his training as well. So be sure to check back for that. As always, you can follow us on social media at After the Snap Pod, Instagram, and Twitter. Go to the Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon or wherever you receive your content. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We like reading those, and it really helps us grow. So uh, with that being said, this has been After the Snap, tales from two brothers who live life upside down.